as we mentioned during the lighting of the Advent wreath this morning, the third Sunday in many traditions represents joy. Um, if you ask three clergy, you'll get five different answers as to what the representation of each of the candles is. Um, there isn't any sort of like deep-rooted history or theology behind them. It's just nice to have something we focus on each week, and those generally tend to be hope, peace, joy, and love. And so this third week, we talk a lot about joy, which can be very hard for a lot of people. Um, this time of year, we talk about joy, 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 joy to the world. There's sparkles and glitter and glitz and glam everywhere. And that can be very difficult for those who've experienced some sort of loss, either recently or um, during this time of year. This is a time of year when those who suffer from things like depression or anxiety tend to struggle even more with those, those issues than, than generally. Um, and so it can be really um, a, tough, uh, a tough balance to strike between the joy of the season and being sensitive to the fact that we are not all in happy places in our lives all of the time. Now, sometimes um, this, this tension is sort of balanced by saying, well, happiness is circumstantial. If something goes away, the happiness goes away. If something enters in, the happiness enters in. Whereas joy is a state of mind. Joy is enduring. And I can, I can get on board with making a distinction between um, the sort of thing that is um, circumstantial and the sort of thing that is enduring. But if you, if you look up the dictionary definitions of joy and happiness, they are essentially the same and are listed with one another as, um, as defining each other. And that can kind of uh, that kind of thinking can also get us stuck in looking to the next good season instead of looking for joy where we are, or it can get us stuck in looking at the last good season instead of looking for the joy where we are. So I find it more helpful to think about how sometimes we are overwhelmed by the joy and happiness all around us, and sometimes it's there. It's just harder to spot. And it's not as large or in your face. A new grandbaby, that one is easy. Joy. <laughs> Boiler back on after a month, that's a no-brainer. Joy. <laughs> but what about when your dog just gets excited to walk around the neighborhood with you for half an hour, even though the weather really stinks outside? That is joy, too. Don't miss out the opportunity to embrace it and share in that small moment of joy. A little kid gets restless or loud this time of year because of their excitement that Christmas is almost here. That is joy. <laughs> they are embracing their joy. Embrace it with them. And so I think that the trick is not to look at difficult seasons as, well, things will improve someday. But to look for those small glimpses of joy in the midst of that difficulty. We need to remember that in community as well, not just in our individual lives. This congregation has been through a difficult season over the past several years, the sort of season that can make it hard to find the joy sometimes. And so even as a community, our task is to seek joy in the little things. 
So what if we don't have baptisms once a month? Let's celebrate the heck out of the baptisms we have today. And yes, the boiler pooped out on us for a month, and that was not pleasant. But we had somewhere warm to go when it got really, really cold in here. And not only was it a warm place, it was a welcoming and familiar place full of people that we already know and spend time with on a regular basis. And so it's finding those small moments of joy in the midst of everything that is less pleasant or joyful. And so I want to spend a few moments and reflect this back on you all and ask, what are those small moments of joy that you have seen around you lately? Mary. When my kids go see Frozen 2 and they're excited about going for like three days ahead of time. What joy. How many of us get that excited about going to see a movie? That I mean, some of us do. I'm counting down the days to the new Star Wars movie. But what, what small joy, but what great joy that we can embrace. I saw someone over here. Mark. Uh, last night, uh, the cat got out into the hallway and my umbrella was still up from a rainstorm. So uh, I pretended that I couldn't find the cat and she was hiding under the... Under the umbrella, so I uh, took advantage and played along with it, and uh, we had a good time. <laughs> Embracing the joy of another creature <laughs> is always a delight. What a blessing. There's a reason that uh, having pets tend to make us happier and healthier. Yes, Mirta. Yes, for the joy of time with neighbors and um, decorating for this this time of year and uh, just even appreciation of, of the story that we celebrate this time of year. Yeah, Erin. Times with good friends, just those simple times, just sitting down for tea or hot chocolate or coffee. Yeah, Carol. Well, Bill insisted on getting a live tree, an eight-foot tree. He had surgery, and he is not allowed to lift anything. And our wonderful neighbor, Sheila, came over yesterday and dragged this heavy tree. 
It that surely is a huge blessing to have someone that is willing to drag an eight-foot Christmas tree into your, into your house so that you can appreciate the beauty of that this season. What a blessing. Yeah, Tom. For all of us who are getting older and we want to get live Christmas trees, the Avalon Fire Home is wonderful. You can buy your tree there. They will bring it to your house. They will even put it in the stand for you. And that is a joy that I don't have to break my back doing it. What a blessing to have those sorts of opportunities where we can still participate in those things as they become a little bit more difficult in time. Yeah, Nancy. I get to experience joy every day with the children in school as they reach milestones and the joy on their face. But yesterday we were on the other end of the spectrum and we took my 89-year-old uncle out for dinner from his nursing home. And the, the, he was just so excited to get out. And we went to a, what we call it, What a huge blessing. And it's one of those things that many of us take advantage of or take for granted. Um, those moments of going out to eat um, just become something that we do. But for those who are unable to get out, that's a huge joy. Any others this morning? Well, then, my friends, let us uh, prepare to hear the word this morning. Let us pray. Holy God, in your coming kingdom, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Give us the wisdom to hear your word proclaimed, and then make it so in our families and our communities. Amen. May God bless these readings of his holy word. The first reading today from the Hebrew scripture is Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness." 
The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The second reading today is James 5, 7 through 10. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And the gospel reading today is Matthew 11, 2 through 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Most of us are at least passingly familiar with the Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We use phrases like, don't be a Scrooge, when people don't seem to be in the Christmas mood. But when you look back with Scrooge and the ghosts, you see that poor Ebenezer is hiding a great deal of pain and loss. He's not just mean for no reason. Christmas is a painful time of year for Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's an extreme and fictional example 
but many of us can sympathize with that feeling. Few people outside of Dickens' fictional world have the nerve to actually and out loud audibly poo-poo those who find great happiness this time of year. But there are many who struggle to find the joy of the season, just as Scrooge did. When we're surrounded by happy songs and jingle bells all over the place, it can be hard to celebrate if we are in a difficult place of our own. If we're in a hard place or a sad place or a confusing place or a lonely place, perhaps even in a curmudgeonly place like dear old Ebenezer, it makes it hard to see any reason to celebrate. These times and places in our lives feel dry and barren, like a desert. And Isaiah offers words about what happens when God gets a hold of a desert. We read many passages during Advent that came out of Israel's exile, and this was literally and figuratively a desert for them. But the desert isn't all bad. It has a special beauty that is unlike anything else. Some of my favorite places in the country, and in fact in the world, are desert. Because it's haunting, and yet has this special beauty that nothing else can even approach. At first glance, it can look like there is no life there at all. Nothing but sand or rock. And you don't want to get stranded there because the desert can be deadly when you are left in it alone. And so it's no wonder that there are times in life that are easily compared to the desert. There are these times that just feel barren. There are times in life that feel like we're going to wither up and die because we've been left alone. But here in Isaiah we see the reminder that the desert does have life in it. Even in the wilderness, there are flowers that bloom outrageously and flamboyantly, even if it's not constant. There are tiny little creatures that scuttle about under the ground and hide in little hiding places. Cacti are full of moisture and life. You just can't see it from the outside. Isaiah the prophet tells the people that God is the life bringer, even in the most apparently dead places. Our God is, as we know from our privileged point of view some thousands of years later, a resurrected and resurrecting God. God's M.O. is to bring life from death. That's what we celebrate today when we celebrate the sacrament of baptism. And so the Hebrew people of Isaiah's time continue to wait for this new life out of barren lands, a resurrection of their people and of their faith. And then they are sent this Messiah, who is nothing like anything they'd assumed the Messiah would be. Even John the Baptist, king of the weird outliers, is wondering if Jesus is actually for real. John was sitting, rotting in jail, because he lived in a land ruled by a corrupt king who locked away people who said things he didn't like. 
If Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, why was John still suffering? Because of King Herod's sin. Jesus didn't fit into the theology even John the Baptist had in mind for the Messiah. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you sure? Are you really sure you're it? The voice crying out in the wilderness wavered. Even John the Baptist questioned God. And Jesus said to John, You have to figure that one out for yourself. But here's what I am doing. Take a long, hard look at it, and then decide for yourself. I imagine that were I in John's position, I'd have said something along the lines of, What good is that answer, Jesus? That is not an answer. I think that most of us have had the same question that John did in our deserts and prisons of life. Jesus, are you really it? Are you sure? It's a question that is often associated with not having enough faith or with being a bad Christian. And rarely does any churchgoer want to ask it out loud. But right here, we have the voice calling out in the desert to prepare the way, asking it. Jesus, are you really it, or was I wrong about you? And no wonder. Jesus has been healing all sorts of people all over the place, and John the Baptist is still stuck in prison. And for all John knew, he was never getting out, which for the record, he never did. It's easy to believe in God, to have happiness in our heart when we're lying down in green pastures. But when we're parched and starving in the desert, things are a little different. And here we have permission to say, sometimes we don't unquestioningly follow. We can have questions. Just like the poor begging for change outside of Ebenezer Scrooge's house, those who are patient and strong in heart and whose faith endures through desert times will be blessed. They will be joyful as hearts turn. Sometimes it's easier to rush to the veneer of happiness that we see with Christmas than to wade patiently through Advent to find true joy. When the people begin to question John the Baptist and the people begin to question Jesus, Jesus asks them, what did you expect to find here? Riches? A king in a nice suit? That's not what this is all about. It's not about the short-term sort of happiness that the world's riches bring. It's about looking forward to the next age. It's about keeping God's long-term plans in view. One of the questions that plague many faithful people is why we are stuck in this in-between time. If Jesus came to save and redeem, why are sin and death still sticking around? Like John must have wondered how he was still imprisoned because of Herod's sin, we wonder why we are still held captive to sin in this day and age. Why are we still wandering around in the desert? A colleague of mine answered this very eloquently in his statement of faith a few years ago. He said, in Christ, 
we see that the final goal of creation is the new heaven and new earth. The powers of sin and death will no longer be able to refuse their defeat in the resurrection. It's not that they haven't been defeated. Sin and death have been defeated. They are just still refusing to admit it. In Advent, we say, look out, here comes the one who defeated you. In Advent, we look forward to that day when those powers can no longer turn their backs and pretend they haven't been conquered. If we forget the past, we run the risk of forgetting the joy that comes from being around others who love us. We risk forgetting where God has brought us from. Scrooge realized when the spirit of the past visited him, he'd forgotten the love of others in his life and had lost touch with his roots. But if we focus only on the present, we run the risk of finding ourselves alone and of missing out on opportunities to be with those who may not be around tomorrow. Not only that, we miss opportunities to help others in need. When Scrooge realized the joy that his clerk, Bob Cratchit, had found in his family, in spite of the illness of his little son, Tiny Tim, he realized he'd been missing out on an opportunity to help them and potentially save Tiny Tim's life. Scrooge was getting in the way of his own joy, and in the process of that, he was getting in the way of other people's happiness. Scrooge needed Advent, not Christmas. Only after the ghosts of past, present, and future brought him Advent could he experience Christmas. We need Advent before we can really experience the joy of Christmas. We need to acknowledge the desert and the waiting before we can fully live into the joy. This season of reflection on past, present, and future in the context of God's big story is exactly the context we need to move through the deserts to joy. Amen.